listening to the Go and Tell Gals podcast, and I'm your host, Jess Conklin. In most of our episodes, we'll have a guest, a woman who is running on mission right where she's at. We pray this podcast leaves you encouraged and spurred on to go and tell the good news. All right, friends, we're back with round two of Hannah Brencher. In case anyone was wondering, no, we didn't plan on this being two episodes. <laughs> what happened is we just started talking and it has been helpful. And so what we realized after 40 minutes of recording is that I had only asked one question, really, that I didn't plan to ask. And I really want to ask these other three. So we've asked Hannah to stay. We're just going to hold her captive here in Charleston. She Never leaving. Sorry. Lane, you'll have to move here. He would, willingly. <laughs> We're still talking about Come Matter Here, your invitation to be here in a getting there world. And I know that so many of you have been reading it. And so I want to just read a few other quotes from later in the book to process, talk about together. And you can charge me for a counseling fee if that feels <laughs> appropriate. So you and I have already talked off recording about church I love that you're a church girl. I love that you love church. I obviously love church. It's funny, when you're like such a church girl, well, especially when you're a pastor's wife, um, I find that so many people have complicated relationships with church, which is 110% fair. You, What I know you wouldn't be surprised to find, but what I think a lot of people would be surprised to find is being a pastor's wife, I have a really complicated story with church too, right? Yeah. Like when people are like, I've been through church hurt, you don't understand. I'm like, you've been through church hurt? Like, I've been through some church hurt. Yeah. Sheep bite, you know? Um, I get it. <laughs> I feel that on a deep and spiritual level. Like, it's it's really hard. But even before starting this church, you know, walked through just some really painful seasons and, and was under some rough leadership in the past. Um, but what I find is that, that I find hard is that I can't say to people what I, what I feel so... I guess I can say it. I just don't want to... I don't know if it's the most helpful thing to say, but so many issues that I see our generation struggling with, I want to say, like, if you were really plugged in at church, this would be easier. You know, I know you get this, like, every Instagram DM I get. I really want to help. I just can't walk with you. Yeah. Like, I can't physically, I can't, you know? And I know that if you told your pastor's wife or if you told someone else, they might really respond poorly or they might not handle it correctly, but you could find another one. Yeah. Like you could find somebody yeah. who really would, you know, like so much of what we're struggling with, the hustling and the running and so much of it is brought to peace in the body. But I love how you talk about the church. I love how you talk about the church of the bachelor. And I love how you talk about, you know, um, you really open up what church looks like in so many different ways. And I think that's so, so helpful. And, and in that respect, I'm so thankful for someone to say it. But I also think Come Matter Here raises an interesting question about church, which is like, you can also go and it not mean anything because nobody knows you, because you're not known, because you don't invest in other people, because you don't listen or, you know what I'm saying? Or because you don't agree or not, not that you have to agree with everything, you know, I'm saying agree in the sense of like, agree with your life, with the truth that you're hearing. Yeah. And so I want to talk about that. I want to read just a quote from your chapter. And I love these questions about looking for a church. And you say, can I meet with God here? 
Will these people bring me closer to the real God or push me further away? Your answer will likely determine whether you stay or go, whether you plant roots or reach for your suitcase again. I love that quote. And as someone who leads a church, I wish I could meet people at the door and say like, do you think we'll help you love God more? Yeah. And do you think we'll help you live like Jesus? And if you don't think we will, I don't want to waste your time. What's helped you settle in? And maybe let's use our word from the last episode. What's helped you develop and like unfurl your beautiful floral petals? I'm a flower. <laughs> Do you see who is the good writer in this group? Not, not me. <laughs> Hannah writes poems. I write riot, rally, cries. Um, Which we need. You write um, poems. But what's helped you develop? In the local church? Well, I think that we, I get very passionate about this because I've not been the perfect churchgoer. No one has been. Um, But I think that, especially within Come Matter Here, I had to reach a point where I realized that the church's job wasn't to show up and serve me. Mm. And that if I didn't like something, that meant I could go to another church. So coming from Connecticut, where, I mean, the joke about New England is that churches go there to die. Yeah. And then you move to Atlanta, you move to the South, and it's like there's a church everywhere. Right. And I experienced a lot of church bashing, of people being like, oh, well, this church over here did this, and this church did... And we were talking about this earlier at lunch, of like, we begin to treat churches like our ex-boyfriends, you know? When I really think closure might be the best thing, you know? But I don't think that you can actually see that you're meant to be in a church until you decide that you're going to show up to serve. Like, you're going to show up to meet somebody at the door and ask them if it's going to bring them closer to God. Like, that's the point of the body, is that it's not just one person. And so... I think I really found myself known through a local church, which is funny to say local church when my church is massive, but they always said it was a big church made small. And I understood that because things started to shift when I started to show up to Mm. serve and keep showing up. And if you keep showing up, eventually the only people that will be left is all the other people that decided to keep showing up too. And like, That will mean something, whether that's two people, four people, six people. But, like, those are the people you call at 2 a.m. Like, the literal 2 a.m. phone calls that do happen, those are the people that are going to drive 40 minutes to get to you and show up at your house and walk with you through it. And we need to be able to let people into that. And so I think it's showing up to serve. But then I think I had to reach a point within the story where I was willing to be honest and real and show people the rooms that were still under construction, you know, like I always liken it to if there's something you don't want to deal with, like you throw it in a room, you throw it in a room, you throw it in a room, and then you're going to walk in one day and it's going to be a really big mess. And so like, who are the people that you actually would invite into that room and allow them to sort through the pieces with you? And it's, it's messy and it's ugly, but I think that man, that was one of the ugliest, ugliest times of my life. Like it got ugly and people stayed. Yeah. And now I look at other people in their messes and I think I know how to stay. I always like to make this caveat because I think I've had a lot of conversations with people that are like, oh, okay, like when I went through the hardest thing, that person didn't stay. And I'm mad because that person didn't stay. And I just want to be like, don't 
waste your energy on that. They might not have known how to walk with you through this mess. I didn't know how to walk with people until I went through it that I'm like, oh wait, you don't want all my life wisdom. You kind of just want me to show up and hold you or bring you soup or just sit outside the door. And I I think I have taken us on a tangent, but hey, we're here. Um, I'm here for it. But yeah, that's whether that is, and I think I got to see a really beautiful part of this church showing up for me in Atlanta, though they didn't know me, they rallied for me and that was gorgeous. And yet my church in Connecticut did the same thing and they just kind of like ping-ponged me back and forth, whichever way I was going, but eventually it came to the point of like, yeah, but like you need to pick a place to root. Like that's going to have to happen if you want this story to get even better. Yeah. And so that's probably what I would end up saying to people is like, guys, like don't just show up one week or two weeks. Like show up for three months, show up for six months, show up for a year. Like God doesn't operate within our timeline and maybe that just means we need to stay in it longer you know I don't amen sounds like too trite (laughs) so amen it's a tangent but it's not this is actually I think this is the most important conversation that ever lived do I I just sound like Chris Traeger from Parks and Rec (laughs) this is literally the most important thing we could talk about right yeah no, I, I mean it. This feels poignant. We were talking about this at lunch. You go to a really large church that I love. I go to a really small church. Now, a lot of people come to our church, and and they'll they'll come from a larger church. Literally today, I just got an email. I'm going to start coming to your church. I'm looking for a smaller church. So first of all, a few things when people say that is I'm like, bro, you don't know that we're going to be small that long. You yeah. don't know what God can do. Like, small is not a characteristic that we're running after. I'll tell you Because the future's right going to be great. <laughs> future is great. I don't know if you heard that last episode, but things are blowing up over here. Just kidding. No, I just am like small and large are not qualitative values when it comes to the church. Yeah. Large does not mean better and neither does small. And what's more, what you you were saying about being a part of a large church, you have to choose to show up. And, and I was telling you at lunch, like exactly true at a small church. There are so many people who come and their physical bodies are there and their souls are not. They're not bringing their gifts. They're not bringing their strengths. They're not bringing their vulnerabilities. They're not bringing their fears. They're not bringing their prayers. They're not bringing their care. And their physical bodies might be there. Yeah. But we're missing out on what they have to offer. Yeah. You know? And so I was just telling you, like, I, I I think it's just easy any place you go. And why this matters is not necessarily just because of church. This is our whole lives. This is how it is in our job. You being a barista or a nanny or an office worker or a stay-at-home mom or someone who writes books. Yeah. It's all different settings. And and the quality is, are you going to come matter? Yeah. Are you going to show up? Are you going to be present? And so I like this tangent. Yeah. It's good. Well, yeah, I have so many thoughts. But I think part of that, too, that I've learned probably since writing the book is like, well, what if you also become somebody who just checks in more often, you know? Because I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to show up and I want people to see me and I'm here and I'm showing up. And then at a, well, now I don't want to call it a big church, but a church that right now presently is big, people slip through the cracks so much. They just yeah. stop coming. And the, the thing that breaks my heart is that no one reaches out, you know? No one even asks like, hey, did you stop coming, you know? And so I've tried to challenge myself in that to check in with people to make sure they're not falling through the cracks, you know? And that doesn't look like, I'm not super spirit led in that. It looks like a lot of calendar reminders. That's so good. I'm so glad you said that. But because I think- also, hold on. 
Who says that's not spirit led? True. Who says the spirit... God is in the Google cloud. Right. Who said that the spirit didn't say, Hannah, I want you to remember this later. Go make a, a calendar reminder. So true. You know? It's so true. Like, it, not everything has to be spontaneous to be spiritual. Please let that be true because I don't have a spontaneous bone in my physical body. I know, but so I think, and maybe that's something I have to work through, is the amount of, I think, discipline it requires within 2019 to check in on somebody is kind of sad. But maybe yeah. it's because we're overstimulated. Maybe sure. it's because... We don't remember each other's birthdays unless Facebook tells us. And so I've tried this year, like I send physical birthday cards. I'm not perfect at that, but I'm trying to send physical birthday cards. And when somebody tells me they're going through something, I put a reminder in my phone to check in 30 days later or two weeks later. Because I think I've had that kindness given to me from somebody who has noticed when I wasn't there. And I'm like, what more of a valuable gift do we give to people than to say, hey, I missed you. I noticed you weren't there, you know? And circling back to what you said about people not staying around, I think this is also the most important part to pause and say, I dare you to listen to this and not feel like a victim because no one's done it for you. Ooh, yes. I dare you to not pause and say, like, well, no one misses me. Like, come on. Come on. Like, we. when are we going to just, like, pick up some purpose and believe, like, great then I get to change the culture yeah awesome yeah you know what I'm saying like totally then I get to set the temperature then I'll do it and this is the thing like so many people in our generation are so hurt and so frustrated with the church and I'm like then you have to be there to change it Mm -hmm. and you have to help us we can't just like go to the beach and say like the church sucks nobody thinks about me anymore like Please come be the church and think about people with us. We need your help. And we need you to not be bitter and frustrated. And again, this is true for everything, not just church. This is true for community. This is true for what you want to see happen in politics. This is true for what you want to see happen in your city. You know, all of it is like you can. You can absolutely play the victim and be frustrated. You can live your whole life doing that. Or you can just say, you know what? Life is too short for me to maintain this bitterness and frustration. I'll just be the difference. And I'll set the temperature. Yeah, because I think that's a lot of times we we don't see that. We see the problem and we don't realize that maybe we are aware of the problem because we're supposed to be part of fixing it, you know? I definitely went through a time when I was in the college ministry where I was frustrated because I wanted to have deeper spiritual conversations, you know? I didn't want to talk about Instagram and our ratios and this and that, and I was frustrated and I wanted to quit. I was like, well, if we can't talk about Spurgeon, we're out, you know? And I just like really felt God come back and like push back at me and be like, okay, but like, what if you're supposed to start that? And so what I started to do is in this like three hour time block that I had between the two services that I was serving at, I would go with all of my books, like just bring a backpack full of the books that I was reading because I'm known to be reading like four books at a time. And I would sit there and I would read. And I just saw college student after college student come up sit down, ask me about what I was reading, ask if they could borrow something. Mm-hmm. And that became its own ministry. Yeah. And so it was the moment that I stopped grumbling or complaining or saying, you know what, I think I'm going to give up on this because they don't have what I need over here. And it's like, wait a minute. No, like you have to be, if you are a part of the body, the Lord did not create any part of the body for it to not have a purpose. Yeah. Like every little thing down to like, I mean, I'm the one that Googles like, why do we have eyebrows? And it's like, so that like sweat doesn't fall into our eyes, you know? And so it's like, 
you have a purpose. And even if you have to repeat that to yourself over and over and over again until you actually believe it, like there is a reason that you're here. Mm. Figure it out and show up and serve. And I promise you, you will stop experiencing the lack. You will. You'll stop being a victim if you just press in harder. You will. You will be so, you will be too busy. Yeah, too busy. Yes. You you won't care. And you'll have a, a long vision of like I'm in it for the long haul I'm in it for the people I'm not in it for like my comfort I'm not in it to be taken care of you know what I'm saying like yeah and and God takes care of me on the way and people learn to take care of me on the way and yeah okay thank you (laughs) thank you Hannah Brecher this is from the chapter in come matter here called read the red text Hannah writes I think the gospels are the song that rewrites the whole story If we believe the story of Jesus in those four books, if we take it for what it is and believe it's the best story out there for us, then it's meant to rewrite our whole entire story from start to finish. It's meant to change us as characters, remake us into characters who are no longer crippled by fear and doubt, but dancing in the aftermath of a bigger story. In Jesus' name, let it be. What songs... Are you tempted to sing or dance to that are not the gospel? I have a whole playlist. (laughs) (laughs) I will send you the link. Uh, Yeah, Um, I'll send you the link. You probably heard all the songs. um, (laughs) Or what what ones do you find like women currently struggling with? There are so many. They come, there's new ones all the time. It's like the Billboard Top 100. Gosh, I think there's like the anthem of, like we said, inadequacy. I think there's the anthem of, even though I'm so adamant about telling people there is a place at the table for you, I then believe, does my voice matter? I'm so adamant about letting people know like, hey, you can make a difference even if it's small. It's not about followers. It's not about email lists. And then I can stare at whatever is there and be like, somehow this matters today, you know? Let's um, let's pause there and say out loud, oh, I'll get you. That'll get you. And it doesn't go away. And this is what I say to women all the time. I say all the time in writing books, if you think the day your book comes out and you're going to go to the bookstore and see your book on the shelf and you're going to feel significant... You're not. You're not. It'll be a fun feeling, maybe, but... It'll be super fun until two days later when you get a text from, you know, the publisher that's like, good job on launch. It didn't hit any charts. Like, you're like, oh, great. But no, that, I mean, no matter what, there's, there's like, not a point where you stop struggling with feelings of insignificance in comparison. Yeah. You you have to nip it in the butter at where you're at. Totally. I mean, like... It's, you can get to the pinnacle of whatever success it is yeah. and it still will not be enough. Yeah. I mean, I look at it and I'm like, I gave a TED talk when I was 24. Like you a did. TED talk. Not, it wasn't TEDx. It, it wasn't was a TEDx. TED, was TED talk. talk. If you haven't watched it, you should Google it. I've seen it. It's incredible. And it's still like, you still walk into rooms and feel like, I don't think I should be on stage. I don't think I deserve to be here. Like the feelings don't go away unless you start to deal with them. I don't think that cluster of three people wants to speak to me right now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They don't. They didn't want to, I don't think. But it's okay. Like, what am I going to... You know what I'm saying? Like... But that's where I think we have to get bolder. I think we have to learn to say, you know what? I'm not listening to this anymore. I'm not. This is not the song I want to dance This is not to. the song I want to dance to. It is off the playlist. And that takes, like, a definite deeper level of discipline. But, yeah. like, 
I'll give you an example of like a few years ago, I lost a friend still walking around the world, but like they're on social media, but we're not friends anymore. And Mm -hmm. that's like, gosh, for anyone listening, just as a side note that has gone through that, I see you in that. We don't talk about it enough, but like, it's a very painful thing and like, you're going to get through it, but it's very much like a breakup. And you're like the stalker on social media that goes to check in and see how they're doing. Mm -hmm. And never leads to anything good like I don't know what I expect to find on the other end of it but like they're living their lives and they're living their lives without you and I was in this pattern of like going to check in and like then being upset when like all of my moods would change because of it and I was like I'm doing this to myself and so just a few weeks ago when the feeling came up I don't know what it was it had to be the Holy Spirit that I just stopped and I was like okay it's a feeling let the feeling pass. Just let it pass. Don't do anything. Just sit here. Let it pass. And a few seconds later, it was gone. And I moved on. And it was almost like I had to give the feeling space. But I had to also say, like, no. Like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like, there's better for me than mm. this. Um, and so I think that, like... I love that. We have to learn to talk back. It's like where David says, like, why are you downcast on my soul? He's like yes. talking to his soul. Yes. And it's like, what is up right yes. now? And if we Stop. don't do the same. Be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So it's that. It's inadequacy. It's, gosh, it'll be everything. Things you didn't even think you were ever going to struggle with. And then all of a sudden. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Let's sing a different song. Amen. Fight song. Yes. This is not the last chapter in the book, but it's, I believe, the second to last. From the chapter, Thank Your Limp. Here's the quote. This culture makes it really easy to act like we are doing okay. To act like our lives are perfect and polished and one small step away from completion. In reality, we are lonely and we are grabbing for things. We are jealous and we are comparing ourselves to others more now than ever before. We are restless and we are discontented. I think social media is a beautiful thing, but I also think it allows us to fake being okay when we really aren't. I think it zaps away this space that used to exist where we can talk honestly and openly and not get distracted from our pain and the pain of others. A lot of us are faking and we're doing a good job of it. And while it's easy to blame social media, we need to be the ones who take action steps. Technology will not stop advancing. The whole world isn't going to shut off. We need to be the ones who work harder here and now to find one another in a sea of screens and status updates. We have to be willing to have honest conversations, to meet up in person, to call each other, even when we don't feel like it, and ask the hard questions, are you okay? What's been going on? How do I pray? When you talk about your limp, something cool usually happens. People get more honest. They open up about their own hard stuff. We learn to rally with one another and not be defined by our weaknesses. Our weaknesses become a bridge instead of a roadblock. We become little light holders on that bridge, helping other people find their way out of the dark. So that chapter is beautiful. I had to skip one part just now that would have made me cry, so y'all should go read it. Um, I love that chapter. Embracing our limp, learning to listen to it. What are our actual weaknesses? How do we bring them into the, the light in a way to be known, in a way to practice presence? What does that look like for you? What does that like logistically look like for you right now? <laughs> this is not an interview or question. This is a like, but will you make me a list? 
<laughs> I think, I mean, it's a great question. I'm like, what does it look like? When I was writing that chapter and, and still in everyday life, I know that my limb, probably the most prominent limb, is um, depression. Mm-hmm. It's something that I battle with every single day. Mm-hmm. I've accepted that and it's not in any way that I don't think that like healing can't come from it but I also see the beauty of having it I've come to a place of like well way more doors are opened from me dealing with this actively every day than if it was something that was completely gone you know that's beautiful um but it does require you to be vulnerable with your people I think that it's And I'm just going to be, I'm going to give a little tough love right now. I think sometimes it's a cop out to put it on Instagram or social media and think that's enough. I think you need to go to the people that actually see your ugly or have never seen your ugly, but are ready to see your ugly and get real and honest with them. Because that's the only way that you're going to actually walk through it. Like this is like social media. I mean, it's, it's a dopamine trap. Like, You share something really hard. You get enough people to like it. It's enough to convince you you've dealt with a thing. And then the thing shows up on your doorstep the next day. And you're like, crap, I thought I dealt with you. But I didn't deal with you. And I had to learn that as a writer. That writers can write about really beautiful things. It doesn't mean that they've dealt with them yet, though. I think you have to deal with it off the screen. Yeah. And I think also, like, it is this place of, like, that's why I love this story of Jacob wrestling. Because we could assume he walked with a limp for the rest of his life, but he didn't complain about it. Like it wasn't brought up again. Like I'm sure maybe with his people, he was like, Oh gosh, you know, my hip hurts. hurts. Yeah. Yeah. But to use it to your advantage, to stop thinking that this is the thing that is holding you back. Like what if this is the thing that's meant to propel you forward? You know, like my ministry don't think became real until I dealt with that depression. And there were multiple people in that storm that were like, God is doing something. This is a story that God is birthing in you. And yeah. like, that doesn't make it any easier. Kind of makes yeah. you wish you weren't a writer. Cause I'm like, Oh, the pain ahead for being a writer, you know, yeah. but I don't know where we got this belief. And it probably at the beginning of time that we thought that we had to have it all together. And so I think that the best thing that I do is I walk forward being vulnerable no matter where I am because I don't have any interest in small talk. I am allergic to small talk. And so it's often saying something that then you want to apologize and be like, sorry, that was really vulnerable, but it opens up the conversation. And to me, I just don't think there's time for anything less than that, you know? Like, Like it's a real battle. And I think that that's how I've applied it in daily life. It's like, even if I don't know you, I mean, I went to a conference last Monday and I was so nervous feeling like okay these are we have the founder of ted here we have these huge business people here why am i here i kept saying that but you know what i did i was in the green room and i talked to people and i saw people and i acknowledged people and then people that i felt being vulnerable with i was like you know what? i didn't even think that i should be here and then we bonded over that because they didn't feel they were supposed to be there either and so it's kind of like hey, I'm not going to come to this super polished. I'm just going to share what's on my heart and I'm going to ask you what's going on with you. And like, Mm. hopefully we'll have a valuable conversation from that. Mm. So it's like, I say that because I think you can have vulnerability wherever you are. You don't have to know the person for more than five minutes. That doesn't mean you need to spill your whole entire life onto the table. Yeah. But I think it is a courtesy to see where people really are. Like if you're going to ask the question, how are you? Like at least stick around to hear what somebody actually says. It's good. 
I talk a lot with my counselor about the difference between vulnerability and transparency and eights on the Enneagram have to talk a lot about this because we're very good at transparency, horrible at vulnerability. If transparency is like, you can, you can see it all, which I would say is the social media piece. Like Mm -hmm. I'll say it, I'll I'll say it all day long. Vulnerable means you can wound me. Like you can hurt me. Yeah. I'm going to count on you in some capacity. But what's interesting to me that I want to capture about what I just heard you say is that there is a difference between something being your song and it being your limp. And I find like Mm -hmm. a connecting point between the two that you started all this with is that when something is your limp, meaning like it hurts, it's hard. Yeah. It, It is not a plus side to life, but you somewhere in there decided if depression is your limp, I believe in God's goodness in it. And I am going to a hundred percent find where he is bringing purpose and power into my life through this. And suddenly it does not become your song because we all know someone who has a song that you cannot hear yourself think because their song is so loud. I've been that person. Yeah. And that is hard. And that's crippling, not just for you, but for everyone else around you. And there's just something that shifts when we say like, you know what? This is real. Yeah. It's not fake. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to stuff it. But it's not going to be my song anymore. Yeah, because I think when it's just your song, like, and you're busy singing it all day long and, like, making sure everybody hears it, it's not that you're not helping people, but, like, you haven't stepped outside of yourself. And one of the stories that didn't go into Come Matter Here may go into the next book was... I know because as somebody who battles with depression, it is a very self-obsessing illness. So Mm -hmm. I don't mean that in an insensitive way. I mean, as somebody who battles with it, that you are very tempted to look inward and just, you can talk and talk and talk all day about it and make sure everybody hears you, but it doesn't actually move you forward. Um, And so it was in the midst of this, it was Christmas morning and me and my mom were going for a walk in the woods we were talking and I'm probably talking about the same thing as I've been talking about for the last two months of this depression by this point, because I want to reason my way out of it. Sure. And my mom just stopped and she said, you know, you're never going to come out of this until you realize it's not all about you. And it was like gut punch, like, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful she said it though, because no one had said it. Like no one just said like, hey, there are other people in this story. And if you can't get better for yourself, you need to get better for somebody else. You know, yeah. like I needed to get better to a point where like one day I could love a husband or love my children. And so when people ask me, cause people ask me all the time on social media, like, man, like you're so disciplined when it comes to your depression. And it's like, yeah, because you know what? I think the opposite of it would be like, I would stay in bed all day. And I know people that do that and experience that, but like, I'm going to fight for my life every single day because there's other people outside of myself that I want to show up in love. 100%. And if I'm strong enough to do that, then my job stops being like, this is my song. And really I'm just making trips back into the woods every single day and I'm helping other people come out, you know? Yeah. And so I reached a point in my own story where I, there was no denying it. The faithfulness of God was there. God was more present than he had ever been. And I remember just saying to him, you know what? Even if you never heal me, I am still going to tell people that you are good. 
Yeah. It's like, I think that was like water thrown on the devil's fire because yeah. he wanted me to say, God is not in this. And my response was, no, he's in this more than he's ever been in it before. And yeah. that's what I want people to know is that like, that is our God. Like he is not a God that will leave you in the darkness, but like, you got to put one foot in front of the other. You have to pack up the stuff. You have to say, I'm not going to camp out here for good. Yeah. And so I don't think if I had always kept it as a song, I would have never been able to help people move forward. And like, to me, it's an honor. It's an honor that I am getting to figure out my depression and figure out how that works in modern times and what foods can I eat? What foods can I eat? And all of this stuff is like, it's all resources to help somebody else live better. Yeah. And so, yeah. That's good. I'm going to head to some listener questions. Okay. What are some daily practices that help you stay present in the moment? Phone box. Get a phone box. It's the greatest thing you will ever do. What is a phone box? So it's literally it was a box that I had on my bookshelf from Ikea. And I had made a goal because you love goal setting. I made a goal at the beginning of the year that I wanted to be more present in my work than ever before. And so I literally took my little label maker and I made a little label that said be present, put it on top of the box. And every day that I sit down to write, I put the phone in the box and I don't take the phone out of the box until something substantial has been written. And so that helps me be more present in my work. Me and Lane, we do a lot of it like revolves around the phone. So we do a lot of like phone stacks, airplane mode. Now we don't have kids. So like usually somebody doesn't need us. So I'm like very aware that that's harder for people that do have children. But I think my husband is a classic example of it. He was somebody who for years has said, I want to read books. I want to read books. But like he would scroll rather than read. Mm. And it's like, maybe you can't read for an hour today. Maybe that's too big of a goal. Like we love to make goals that are like actually not realistic because we don't have habits to back them up. Yeah. But you can do anything for 15 minutes. Yeah. So what if you set your timer for 15 minutes and you just read, you'd probably read a chapter and then that's it for the rest of the day. And then you do it again the next day. That's how I've become more present in my own life. It's like the things I actually wanted to do. I gave myself permission to do them for 15 minutes a day. Mm. And I love yeah. that. So good. We kind of ended on this, but talk about daily practical tips to fight anxiety or depression. Number one thing I would say is to speak it out, to never sit alone in it, to have the people that you know that you can call and also be that person for other people. You know, it's like mm-hmm. my number one thing is like somebody calls. If I can pick up the phone, I'm going to pick up the phone. Somebody texts. I'm going to call you. I want to hear your voice. You know, voice memos are the greatest gift from God. Just send somebody a voice memo. Let them know where you're at. People can't help you if you don't tell them where they're at. And so letting your people be a part of it. And I think too, like, this is something that just came to my head. So like, maybe it's like meant to be there. But I remember in the midst of this, when I was fighting through depression alone, I kept thinking it was a spiritual thing that if I just sat in the Bible long enough then like joy was going to come and depression was going to be gone because like joy was a fruit of the spirit you know and what I would tell somebody is that it's like bring people and professional help into this battle Mm -hmm. the Bible is like the greatest tool that we've been given but if your brain isn't processing things through the right lens 
you won't be able to escape the feeling that God is not a good God who is causing this depression, yeah. you know? And so it's like, I had to have a mental shift to believe God is not causing this. He would never cause this. He's allowed for it to happen. And he is heartbroken just as I am heartbroken. But the second you think that God is causing it, like your whole mindset goes down. Yeah. And so I don't know what sparked me to say that. Probably mm. somebody needed that. It's simple things. It's, it's, moving every single day it's getting the workout in even when you don't want to it's eating the better food choices because your brain will thank you for that it's not going to bed with screens it's it's all the things that you've read it's just applying them literally right that's literally the application yeah yeah i feel the same when people are like how do you read the bible every day i'm like well eventually you're just gonna have to do it yeah yeah you're just gonna have to pull it off it has to be the priority open it like it's i can't really give you that many tips i don't know well, Just and I think it. that within the culture that we live in, especially in this like do it all culture, you can be everything. Yeah. I often find, and I found it in my own story, that the first person that fell into the background and the first person who got really unhealthy was myself. Yeah. And it was like Lent of this year that I said, okay, you know what? I have three priorities, only three priorities. I'm going to be in the word every single day. I am going to take my medicine and I'm going to move. I'm going to do a workout. And like, I don't care what else happens. This is the most important thing. And I watched like everything shift because of that. Like I had already been in the word, but I think even my word time had gotten distracted. Like, oh wait, I'm scrolling. Oh wait, I'm not really being present. And it's like, nope, just me and my Bible. Then I'm going to take my medicine. Then I'm going to get a workout in. And like, I watched how my capacity grew in all these other areas because I did these three things that were necessary for me to function at optimum health. Yeah. They weren't that hard to do. It was just kind of like, you just got to swallow this and do it. It's so interesting though that you bring up the word because I 100% agree with you. The word of God is good and does not return void. But there's something kind of like empty and achy that happens in my soul when I picture a woman just like sitting and staring at it. And I'm like, oh, that might not work. That's no, like, yeah. You can't just like sit and stare at it. But I don't think it's like a foregone conclusion that we're all reading our Bibles every day. And I say this all the time. You know, we love our editor, Stephanie, and she is so gentle to steward these words that I want to write in every book. And she always takes them out. Like, I just don't believe us. Yeah. I don't believe that people are really reading their Bibles all that much. Oh, I don't think they are. And I'm like, there is something when people say like, I read the Bible and I don't get anything out of it. I'm like, are, are you reading the words of Jesus? Like maybe like kick out of Leviticus for a second, but like Jesus is wild. And even like you talk about like wanting to be more present, like I have to believe that the spirit will move in the word of God because like my entire whole life is based on this truth that if we talk to the God of the universe and if we read his wisdom, things will shift. So I don't mean like sullenly sitting on the couch and like trying to read Ecclesiastes and like just to do it, but like actually saying like, I want to meet you. Yeah. Show me your face. Yeah, and he will do it. Things are going to shift. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And like 100%, like you may need professional help to get to a place where your brain can absorb that. But do not forget that part. Oh, totally. You know? And so I, I'm so glad you even said that because I, I don't think that's a foregone conclusion for so many women. In my deepest season of depression, I tell people all the time, like for sure was getting professional help. For sure. Yeah. A, a lot of professional help. 
And also was waking up every day and reading First Peter 2.9 out loud over myself walking around my house. And yep. I don't say that yeah. as a badge of like, and I fixed it. Like it was Jesus alone mm-hmm. that took me from the brink of death and despair. But his word also broke things open in me. You know, where yeah. I said like, you are saying I'm a chosen people and a royal priesthood and a people purchased out of darkness into marvelous light. And if that is true, everything's going to change today. If that's true, if I'm engaging with that word, and, and I had, for me, I had to physically move my body as I spoke those words. Like, I had to physically walk around my house. But, like, if I'm actually engaging with that word, something shifts, you know? Well, and you, you wrote about that earlier in the year. You had said, like, what if you just, like, believed it was true? Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that changes everything (laughs) if I believe that it's true it might be crazy but it's nuts it's nuts but I think it's also I I get a lot of messages and I'm sure you do too from people that are like I just don't understand the bible and like I have to be like okay one it's not about the prettier bible it's not about the text size whatever gotta get a bible just a physical bible yeah and then the biggest thing that shifted for me is when I realized the story was not all about me it wasn't about me yeah and I think we have to stop treating the bible like it's a self-help book yeah because it's like if you just show up because you want something relevant for your life in that day you miss it like you miss the marrow like yeah it is a story about Jesus you are lucky to be in the story but like Maybe if you're in Ecclesiastes that day and you're doing like one of those read through the Bible in a year programs that we all start at the beginning of the year. And like yeah. you, we have to stop looking at this from the mindset of, well, I didn't get anything out of it today. Like we're not sponges. Yeah. Like, so it's like, maybe you sit with it a little bit longer and you say, God, could you reveal to me? Like, who is this right. for today? Right. Who, I can, who can I text and encourage today with this? Like you said, like, Never, ever, ever, ever have I sat down or have I not been able to sit down, humble myself and say, God, I want to see you. And he hasn't shown up. Yeah. But I'll tell you days where I didn't show up with that posture and I'd be like, oh, nothing happened. God's not here. Yeah, I didn't you know? get a lot out of it today. Yeah. And it's, it's cool. just. I also don't remember a single thing I read because I was just kind of moving my eyes. Yeah. To say that I did it. Yeah. And. Which, like, listen, all the grace for. Some days, like, you're just trying to show up, and that's okay. I'm just saying, like, let's don't say it's the Bible's fault. Oh, yeah. No. You know? No. Yeah. It's never. Oh, I want to free somebody up about this. I'm so glad you said that. We all did the Read the Bible in a Year. I'm two years in. Two years in to a Read the Bible in a Year program. I am maybe one-fifth of the way through. And the reason why is right. Because... Every time, I, I'm right now in First Samuel. So if that tells you, I, I started this in the beginning of 2018. And I'm only in First Samuel because I can only read it for about two or three days in a row before I'm like, I need to go to Ephesians. I need some power. Yeah. Like, I am yeah. loving learning yeah. <laughs> this, but I need Jesus. And he's all over the whole thing, but I need to hear some of his physical words. Or I need to hear something a little bit about, like, I, yeah. I cannot live in First Samuel. And I first learned this when the, when I first started it. And who knows? You go through Job, like, oh, for whatever reason, it, the chronological at Bible. The very at the very beginning. It'll make you never want to start reading the Bible from the beginning again. It will. Job is whatever, I think, 40-some chapters long. Mm-hmm. And you go 38 chapters before God talks. There's yeah. 38 chapters of just Job complaining. And I've already told you guys, I don't like complaining. Like, I don't like thinking about pain at all. Yeah, yeah. So it's 38 chapters of pain. And around chapter 16, my husband was like, bro, you got to kick it out of Job. Like, you need to sprinkle in some Psalms. This is 
not working for our life anymore. And I was like, thank you for telling me that. All of God's word is fruitful and good, but we, we are going to need different doses of it in different seasons. And so that's okay. It feels to me, like the way I always apply reading the Bible, it's like cooking. You kind of have to learn how to cook. Yes, like yes. you can't just go to the drive-thru and always expect for the instant pickup. You could do that. You'll probably like at some point need more though. So it's like you learn to chop the veggies. You learn to measure out the ingredients. The same goes for the Bible. Like, I don't know that I would tell people if you're looking to know what the Bible is all about, start at the beginning and read all the way through. It would get really scary in Judges. Like yeah. you would be like, I don't understand. You need to know how the story ends before you can understand how the story begins. Yeah. I used to be terrified of the Old Testament. And then I also was somebody who wouldn't read the gospel because I was afraid if I read the gospel and it didn't change me, then I would have to walk away from everything, Oof. you know? Oof. yeah. So then I finally sunk in and I met the person of Jesus in the gospel. And mm. I watched that. Like, it was almost like God was at this point of like, yes, you're finally here. Finally, I can change you and you can't take credit for it, you know? Yeah. But when I went back to the beginning after now knowing what the story was all about, like I was getting through the Old Testament weeping because I suddenly understood, wait, no, this is a love story. This is a love story and I'm in it and it's heartbreaking but it has a good ending. And so I always tell people when they're like, I don't know where to start. I don't understand the Bible. I, I'm like, go to the gospel. Like, yeah. that's where you need to start. You need to know what it's all about before anything else. And then if you really want to do the Bible within a year program, like who's to say you can't break it up and say, you know what? Today I'm in Galatians and tomorrow I'm yeah. in Ruth. That's what I'm doing. I'm yeah. reading the Bible in a year. But like I was in Galatians for the last month and then I moved into Ruth and Ruth is pretty short. So I feel I get to move on soon and I'm moving into Proverbs. And it. it's going to equal that like, all of the territory has been covered, but yeah. like we don't need to go in chronological order. So good. Let's end on this. Okay. Here's what I want to say. We've talked about church. We've talked about fighting with our limps. We've talked about reading the word. We've talked about showing up. And what I know, because I know you and because I've now read this book twice is this is not like a prescription. This is not a should. None of these thoughts are like, and this is what we think will make life tidy. Yeah. We'll stick with the depression theme and the story theme because I love that we've talked about both. And I love telling people this story. So I went years with undiagnosed depression. I couldn't say the word. No one else like was really able to say it for me. Two suicide attempts before anyone ever said to me, like, I think you're struggling with depression. And um, when someone finally said to me, like, I think you're struggling with depression, I was in the backseat of my friend Laura's car, and we were having, like, a, you know, a intervention. And I kept saying, like, I'm not depressed. I'm just tired. I'm just tired. Like, you know, at the time I had three kids that were, you know, under three, and I was like, I'm just, this is just my life. I'm just tired. And they were like, no, it, you're not. <laughs> you're not Okay. And I I just listened and listened and I was pretty like dead on the outside. And then at one point I just broke and I just started sobbing and I said, do you mean to tell me I could feel better? Mm. Like you think I could feel better? You think I could not feel this way? And they, both my friends just started sobbing and saying like, yeah, we are we're telling you you can feel better. Mm. And I think I want you to pitch that vision of not like, hey, you could feel better, but like, this is, this is what it could look like. If you, if we, if we, myself included, like, can practice mattering here. 
I think I'm at a space right now where I'm seeing a lot of the fruit of that and I'm still in progress, but it was interesting. I just came up on my five year anniversary of living in Atlanta, mm-hmm. which everyone thought it would be a phase. And here we are. I have oh, a house, yeah. but it's so funny how God reminded me of five years ago, I went to Laura Casey's conference. She had us spread out across the room and lay down on the floor and talk about what our life was going to look like in five years from now. And I remember being like, I got to cut this thing out of the program. I don't do these vision type things, you know, like, because I was like, great, but that's not actually going to happen unless we just hustle and move, you know, like I was Mm -hmm. a hustler back then. And I was weeping on the floor, like weeping. They probably had to like, they should have carried me out of the room because I got the clearest picture in my head of me sitting next to somebody that I assumed I'm probably married at this point and we were in a house and we were surrounded by people coming in and out of the house and the reason I was weeping is because I looked at my life and I said well there's not even anything planted that could lend to this fruit like nothing like all I'm doing is packing a suitcase and leaving all I'm doing is like being super inspirational to all my friends but not actually telling them really where I am on the map you know and so five years later and I'm in this space where all of a sudden I'm like wait a minute like I am in this house I am next to that person there are people coming in and out and it's not at all what I thought it would look like it's it's much better because God knew what I needed not what I wanted um Mm -hmm. if I got all the things I wanted oh it'd be a disaster but I think like and and speaking to myself in this too because I think that you could finally feel free from the striving from the fear that you are behind that you're in a race that you are never going to win that it wouldn't matter what the person to the right and the left of you is doing because you would feel so good with yourself that you could actually celebrate them in that and realize that like you bring gifts to the table that that person doesn't. And we need both of you in this, you know? And I think it's just like you sleep better at night and you wake up not like on some timetable that you constructed for yourself, but there's actual freedom in knowing that God might hijack the whole entire day and you might end up helping a friend in need or like helping the neighbor across the street. And that would actually be more than enough. Like that would be the kingdom work. That would be the stuff that like is actually going to be the stuff that like fuels conversations and feels good and like feels like sustenance. And so, yeah, it's this vision that you would finally, finally be full, realizing that like you don't need more. You have everything that you need. It's right here. You just have to show up to it. And like, do it afraid. Don't, you don't need to do it like with all the confidence. You just need to keep doing it. And like, you're just, you're going to see a difference. You will. Like I, I am living proof of that. Like if I could change, anyone can change. Trust me. Like, but it's so much better. It's so much sweeter. And especially for anyone that feels that anxiety or depression, like I low grade lived with that my whole entire life. Mm -hmm. And we just explained it away, explained it away, explained it away. And to be able to wake up every day feeling healthy, feeling yeah. like I actually have like vitality yeah, is like something that I would just, I would pass out on the streets if I could, but you kind of have to do the work to get to that place, but the work is worth it. So like yeah. dig in and just do the work. So good. Let's end there. I okay. love you. I'm thankful for you. I love you. I'm thankful for you. If you haven't read Come Matter Here by Hannah Brencher, you need to go grab it right now. Amen. 
Amen. Amen.